sorry about that. Thanks for bearing with us. Liz, thanks for the update. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Scott Rutan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, my family and I were a part of what was once called the Glock MC, the Grandview Upper Arlington, Clintonville. It's kind of spanned into some other areas now, um, Eastmore and Worthington. Um, so we kind of joke about what exactly is our name, but um, that's the MC that I'm a part of. And I'm really thankful to be able to share God's word with you this morning um, as we continue as we continue in our study of Colossians, uh, just want to remind you briefly, um, kind of give you a brief overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians. I know we've been in it for a number of weeks, um, but just to kind of help keep our bearings, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, and um, Paul's writing from prison. So he's in prison in Rome as he writes, and he wrote a couple of other epistles from uh, Rome as well. I'll reference uh, one of them later. And he's writing to a group of believers that he's never met. So the Colossian Christians have never seen Paul face to face. He even mentions that in chapter two. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so believers that he's never met face to face. And these believers were uh, being faced with some false teaching from within the church. And so one of the things that Paul does in this letter is he addresses the false teaching. And part of the way that he does that is through magnifying Christ. And so as we remember from a few weeks ago in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, um, Paul really exalts and magnifies Jesus and declares Jesus as the preeminent one, uh, the image of the invisible God and the one for whom and through whom all things were created. And then last week, Andrew preached on verses 21 to 23 um, and really clearly laid out the gospel. He you know, reminded us and uh, you know, shared the word as, as Paul had shared it, that um, apart from Christ, we are uh, enemies and, and rebels against God and that um, we're not neutral was kind of the way he phrased it. But that the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus' death and his blood, we can be reconciled to God now before it's too late. Um, and so this week we'll... We'll read from, uh, we'll focus on 24 and 25 of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, we just thank you for the chance to be together and to sit under your word. And we just ask for your help now. Help me as I speak and help um, everyone as we listen. Help us to have uh, ears to hear, Lord, and to really receive what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Uh, so thanks, Corey, for reading our passage. Um, I'll read it again uh, now. Colossians 1, 24 through 25, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. that he would put it in a way that um, 
was shaped as a joyful suffering for the church. And really, in this first point, um, I'm going to break it down into three smaller points. First, just making the observation that Paul suffered. Uh, two, for whom did he suffer? And three, how did Paul suffer? Okay, so the first point, just the observation that Paul suffered. Uh, during his life in ministry, Paul suffered extensively. Um, as I mentioned earlier, at the time of this writing, he's in prison in Rome. So he's currently suffering uh, in his imprisonment. Um, <clears throat> and then elsewhere in the New Testament, he describes other ways that he's suffered physically for the gospel and for ministry. Uh, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists like a laundry list of physical uh, beatings and sufferings that he endured. He says in that area that he experienced countless beatings, that he was often near death. That five on five occasions he received the forty lashes minus one. Uh, once he was stoned, three times he was shipwrecked, and that in addition to these physical sufferings, that there was the daily pressure of his anxiety for all the churches. So Paul suffered physically and then also emotionally and in, in worrying about the well-being of the churches that he served. So uh, the first subpoint: Paul was no stranger to suffering. The second is: For whom did Paul suffer? And, and three times in our passage, Paul says that he suffers for the church, um, the capital C church, for, for Christ's body. Uh, first, look in verse 24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And second, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And finally, in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Um, so we see that, that Paul suffers for the church. Uh, it's a selfless suffering for others. And it's readily apparent that, that he really cared about the church. He, he cared about the well-being of the believers. He didn't want them to um, uh, succumb to false teaching. Um, he, he wanted them to do well, even if that cost him his life or resulted in his suffering. Um, he, he, told, he told Timothy that he endures everything for the sake of the elect. Um, so he, he endures everything for God's people. 
And then also in Colossians 1, just a little bit later from where we are, verse 28, Paul says that he toiled for the spiritual maturation of believers. So Paul, um, he saw his work as being for the benefit of others, for the church specifically. And then our third subpoint is is how did Paul suffer? Um, Paul says that he rejoices. So Paul, he suffered with joy. Um, it's just amazing how he was able to do that by God's strength. And he says that, um, or he, he believed that his suffering was a means that God was using to advance the gospel. Um, again, I'll look at a passage from Philippians, just an example of how Paul viewed his suffering as, as serving to advance the gospel. This is, again, him writing from prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in Paul's suffering for the churches, he rejoices. Uh, he experienced joy in his suffering. He, he found joy in that. Um, joy, you know, in contrast to like happiness or pleasure, happiness or pleasure are things that, that you and I experience when we have ice cream or something really tasty, right? Um, but joy here is a, a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Um, and the question is, you know, what, what enabled Paul to experience such joy, such persevering joy in the midst of suffering? And the only really explanation is that Paul possessed something greater. He, he possessed a greater treasure than pleasure or wealth or physical well-being. He had something that couldn't be taken from him or stolen or something that wouldn't rot or destroy um, Paul's treasure, of course, was, was Christ and knowing Christ. And he writes about that again in Philippians. And he says that, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to the gospel here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And, you know, the question for us is, do we possess that sort of treasure? Um, all of us possess or treasure something or someone, or we're at least prone to treasure something or someone other than Christ. Um, and you'll, you'll know what that is by how you respond when it's taken from you or it's maybe going to be taken from you if, the, if your treasure comes under threat then that really is very revealing to your heart of, of what you're treasuring and so let me just list a few examples you've probably heard some of these before but um, just examples of things that we are tempted to treasure I, if you experience angst or, or turmoil if someone criticizes you or your performance then it's possible that you're treasuring the approval of others okay if you're distressed when life gets hard or you're denied an easy life or a pleasurable experience, then your treasure might be comfort. That's something that I struggle with the most. Um, if you're constantly worrying about safety or financial security or health, and you're knocked off your feet by an accident or a job loss or a new diagnosis, then, then your treasure might be being in control and trying to control everything that happens to you instead of giving, releasing control to the Lord and trusting in his goodness and that he's able to work all things together for your good. Uh, the point here is that 
We're all tempted or prone to treasuring something or someone other than Christ. But Paul's ability to rejoice in the midst of suffering came because Jesus was his treasure. Um, So again, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus my treasure? Is he your treasure? And, and, you know, the the honest reality is that it's a daily struggle to keep putting him first. And and so we need to really ask for his help in that. Um, We need to ask that he'd help us not to treasure things on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Um, you know, Jesus says that for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So, so far, we've, we've just talked about one aspect of, of Paul's gospel ministry, that um, it was characterized by joyful suffering for the church. Next, we're going to look at um, where uh, Paul's ministry came from, the source of his gospel ministry. And we'll see that it came from God. Paul's gospel ministry came from God. Look with me at verse 25. Paul writes that he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. The New American Standard Bible, the NASB, says that Paul received his ministry according to the commission from God granted to me. So it was, Paul's, it was God's will for Paul to be a minister. In our letter, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, God's will. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, 1 Timothy 1.1. And many other places Paul talks about his his call, but the point is that it was given to him. Um, He was commissioned by God. It wasn't something that Paul sought out on his own. Um, He didn't volunteer for it. In fact, quite the opposite, as most of you probably know from his conversion story, Paul used to be known as Saul, and he was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians, right? And while he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, uh, the Lord stopped him with a bright light and spoke to him and told him what he was to do. And, um, and then the Lord spoke to a Christian in that area named Ananias and told Ananias to help Paul. And uh, in Acts 9, 15, uh, we read, But the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul's ministry came from God. He was God's chosen instrument, commissioned to spread the gospel. And um, because he was the Lord's chosen delegate to carry his name before the Gentiles, Paul therefore had the authority of God behind his message. That's what a delegate does, right, is they, they go on behalf of someone else and speak on their behalf and with their authority. Alistair Begg, a pastor in Cleveland, pastor of Parkside Church, describes it this way. He says, Paul's authority then is Christ's delegated authority. And it is vital that we understand this. The authority of the apostle was the authority delegated by the head of the church, Christ himself. Paul's message, therefore, is Christ's message. And we, as we have noted before, we cannot allow to ourselves the distinction which says, well, I'm prepared to accept the words of Christ, but I'm unprepared to accept the words of Paul. Christ's words and Paul's words are possessed of the same authority. We have to remember in our letter um, that the Colossians were being pressured by false teachers. They were being um, tempted to call into question the legitimacy of Paul and his message. And Paul responds by, by reminding them that his, his authority, his ministry, came directly from God. Um, so, so far we've looked at two aspects of Paul's gospel ministry. First, that it was characterized by joyful suffering for the church. Second, that it came from God. 
And now third, his ministry was complete in its content. It was complete in its content. What was the task that Paul says was given to him? He says it in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. Um, The NASB translates it that Paul was to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. To fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That was the task given to him. And what was the goal? The goal for Paul in doing these things and being obedient was to, in verse 28, present everyone mature in Christ. He, he strove, his striving and his hard work, it was with the goal of uh, the believers and the churches uh, growing in maturity, becoming sanctified, becoming more like Christ, uh, demonstrating fruits of the Spirit. That was why he was working, and that was why he was fulfilling his task of preaching. Um, he talks about some of, you know, he, he mentions in chapter 1, we covered weeks ago, uh, ways in which Paul was praying for the Colossians, and really he's praying for their spiritual maturity and their growth. And just, you know, I'll just list a few of them in Colossians 1. These would be evidences of maturity. He says that he prays that the Colossians will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in verse 9. And in, in verse 10, he lists a, a number of ways that he's praying for them, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would be fully pleasing to God, that they would bear fruit in every good work, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, that they would be strengthened with all power for endurance and patience with joy, that they would continue in the faith, verse 23, that they would not be led astray by false teachers, chapter 2, verses 4 and 8, that they would stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, 2, verse 5. So again, Paul uh, made the word of God fully known, and his goal was to present everyone mature in Christ. And he needed to assure the Colossians that they had received the full word of God. Um, They were tempted to think that there was uh, hidden knowledge or wisdom to be found elsewhere. And so Paul addresses that. He, he preaches Christ as preeminent. He lifts Christ up. And then he says that Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, 2 verse 3. That wisdom and knowledge weren't to be found in the false teachers. Uh, they taught according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And they did not hold fast to Christ. So we'll get there soon, but chapter 2 is, is really full of ways in which um, chapter 2 addresses the false teaching more. Um, but Paul says that, you know, his task was to preach the word of God in its entirety, and it was his obedience to this that resulted in the sufferings that I mentioned earlier, the sufferings uh, of his physical body, and that's resulted in his current imprisonment. Um, you know, we can read about Paul's arrest for preaching Christ uh, in Acts 21 and, late, and, and thereafter, um, But again, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, was the message that Paul preached. And this included the message that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles were united, that they became one body in Christ. And that was um, tough. That was something that really angered the Jewish leaders. Um, You know, that was something that got Paul in trouble. But he didn't he didn't shy away from declaring that as truth of the reality that it was. Um, He didn't censor his message or edit it. Um, He proclaimed the word of God in its fullness, and he didn't hold back. Um, He wasn't afraid to confront sin or error or false teaching, even if it made his life more difficult. Um, Of course, you know, he did that 
with, with good and love in his heart that he wanted good for those that he was um, sharing with and uh, preaching to the churches that he was establishing. He wanted that for their good, um, but he didn't shy back from sharing the full word of God. And that's something that, you know, is really important for um, preachers today to be reminded of, not to shy away from preaching the full word, even if some words might be hard to hear or even possibly offensive. Uh, you know, here at Cross City Church, one of the ways that we attempt to do that is by something called expositional preaching. And so that just means that the normal pattern of our preaching is to go verse by verse through entire books of the Bible uh, or large sections of the Bible. And this is in contrast to topical preaching. Topical preaching is when uh, a preacher selects a topic like marriage or, or forgiveness or love and then gathers all of the pertinent texts and passages on that topic in preparing a sermon. And that's not necessarily bad or wrong. We, we've done that before. Uh, even as recently as during our vision series. But the point is that the normal pattern of our preaching is expositional. And one of the benefits of this is that it helps to substantiate our belief that all of the Bible is God's inspired, authoritative word. Um, so if we believe that, then we should not skip over passages that might be hard for our congregation or our visitors to hear. If you're going verse by verse by verse, um, it's going to take some time but you don't have the um, benefit of skipping over something that's difficult. Um, it forces you to work through it. And the reality is, you know, all of us, um, believer, non-believer, at some point we're going to find something difficult or possibly offensive or hard to hear. Um, and we just need to trust God with that and really ask him for help uh, and understanding and to come uh, in humility before him. Um, I think the application for this is really important in evangelism, not shying away from, from sharing all of God's word and truth. I remember when I was in college and really learning how to share the gospel. Um, I may be remembering it incorrectly, but I think it felt to me like the emphasis was really on um, sharing Jesus as the Savior, oftentimes to the neglect um, or underemphasis of Jesus as the king of our life. Um, I think that was, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I was nervous to, to add that in or to share that or thought, well we'll, well, well, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about discipleship later. Um, but I think that was probably, um, you know, not, not the best approach. And, you know, people need to know, of course, that, that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, Savior and King. Um, you know, of course, it's probably a little bit offensive to say that someone's a sinner and that they, need, that they need forgiveness, but it's good news, right? Like, you can be forgiven, trust Jesus, and you, you'll be forgiven, um, but it's a lot more offensive. It's a lot more difficult to tell someone, um, and Jesus has the right to become king of your life. He has right to rule in your life and tell you how to live. Um, that's really hard to hear, um, but we know that that's not the gospel. The gospel is not just a ticket to heaven when you die, but it's a life. It's a life now with Jesus as king, and that Jesus is a good king. He's a wise and loving and good king, and we can trust him. And we need to share that completely when we share the gospel. Um, I, I say all this to say that just as it was important for Paul to preach the full word of God, it is likewise imperative for preachers to preach the full word of God and for all of us to share the full word of God, even if it might be hard to hear 
or even if it results in our own suffering or persecution. Um, <clears throat> let's pray and ask God to soften hearts in evangelism. Let's ask him to give us courage and to remind us that he's our greatest treasure. Um, and let's, remind, let's ask him to remind us that his spirit is the one that changes hearts, not us or our words. So, so far, you know, this morning we've considered three aspects of Paul's gospel ministry. We've seen that it's been characterized by joyful suffering for the church, that it came from God, and that it was complete in its content. And as we've gone along, we've considered a number of application points. One, that suffering for righteousness' sake it shows the infinite worth of Christ. It shows that Jesus is the greatest treasure. Second, that Paul's words and Christ's words possess the same authority as Christ's delegate. Paul has the authority of Christ uh, in his word. And third, it's important to share the whole word of God, not just the parts that are easy or attractive. So in closing then, as we consider Paul's life and ministry, um, it's easy to be amazed at his faith and his service and his sacrifice for others. Uh, what's recorded of, of the Apostle Paul in Acts, what you can learn about him from reading his letters, it's truly amazing, um, in particular with the ways that he suffered physically and endured that suffering with joy, and then with regards to the, the genuine love and concern that he had for believers and for the churches that he established. As you read his letters, you get the sense again and again how desperately he wanted the churches to, quote, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10, and to stand strong in the gospel and to not be deceived by false teachers. Paul clearly loved the people that he ministered to, and he clearly had no reservations about suffering for them. He took the stewardship of his calling as a minister really seriously, and he did not shy away from proclaiming the full word of God, even if it resulted in his suffering. Paul was an amazing gospel minister. He was sent by God. He was obedient to his calling. He proclaimed the full word of God. And in his love, he suffered for others. Does that sound like anyone else that you know? Who could have inspired and empowered Paul to live such a life? By listening to whom did Paul find his source of love and joy and peace? his purpose and identity and strength. Well, by looking to the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By looking to the one who, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. By looking to the ultimate gospel minister, the suffering servant, the better Paul. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, the point this morning is not to try to be like Paul. The point, as Hebrews 12.2 tells us, is to look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, and the one for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for your servant, Paul, and just the amazing minister that he was. Um, we owe so much to him and his faithfulness and his sacrifice. Uh, we're thankful that you preserved his letters. Uh, thankful for the churches that he helped to establish. Um, thank you that he found his strength. He found his example in Jesus. 
And uh, we just ask that you'd help us to see Jesus as we look at Paul. Help us to see Jesus as we read your word. Um, Help us to exalt and magnify Jesus and to look to him uh, for everything that we need. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.